This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Again, for the final time in this series, Luke chapter 15, final part of the story of the prodigal son, part three. This time we have been quite deliberate in uh, dividing us up into three parts so we can have a good look at the prodigal and a good look at the father and tonight a good look at the elder brother. The prodigal has returned. The father has reconciled his younger son unto himself. He has given him the best robe. He's given him the family ring and he's given him new shoes. And uh, the best robe uh, stands for acceptance, the ring stands for authority, and the shoes stand for freedom. And so that tells the son that he has been completely and totally and instantly forgiven by the father. A great celebration is underway. Singing and dancing is the order of the day. Music fills the air. Everybody is happy and joyful, but Jesus' audience is stunned. They're absolutely stunned at this. This is not at all what they were expecting at the end of the story. The Father's grace and mercy was beyond their comprehension. They'd never known anything like this before. The tax collectors and the sinners and the crowd were absolutely amazed that this father's heart could be so compassionate and forgiving. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were scandalized that the father could be so lenient and conciliatory towards this disgraceful son. They had no sense of this father in their estimation, had no sense of honor or respect for his name or his family's name that he would so quickly just forgive without any sense of punishment or restitution to be made or period of probation to be asked for or apologies to be made, none of that. And so they were absolutely shocked this would happen. He broke all the normal rules of that day. He completely ignored all of the little laws that these scribes and Pharisees had added on to God's Word. Completely bypassed all of that. And so what this father did was the antithesis of everything that these scribes and Pharisees believed in and lived for. So no wonder they were shocked. As far as they were concerned, this story had just ended in the worst possible way. No vengeance. Just plain, simple, unadulterated forgiveness. But the story wasn't over because Jesus was about to deliver his most damning verdict on these religious hypocrites. He was going to hold up a mirror and let them see themselves, see into their own hearts. These religious, censorious, judgmental, 
sinner haters, because that's what they were. And so the curtain was about to lift for the final time. And enter stage right, the elder brother. The epitome of all that was wrong with these scribes and Pharisees' religious worldview. And so we'll pick up again where we left off this morning. In fact, perhaps I should maybe just for continuity's sake, just read from verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. And that's where we finished exactly this morning. So let's now continue in verse 25. Now this older brother was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. Now, a couple of things. The fact that he only heard the music and the dancing, and, and remember that not just the local family, but the whole community would be involved in this celebration. So there'd be a lot of noise. And the fact that he only heard it as he got close to the home tells us that the father's fields were far and wide. He was a long way off that day, somewhere out there in the fields. No doubt he would be conducting what was happening. He would be the elder son. He would be second in command. And no doubt all those servants would be doing the, the labor and the work, but he would be making sure that it would be done. Now, isn't it interesting that this is really the first time that we're hearing really anything about this elder brother? You know, it started off saying a certain man had two sons. And then all the time up to now has been taken with the prodigal son, the wasteful son. Now, that should make us think a little bit. Why did the father not inform this older son? Why did he not send a servant out and say, listen, get my older son. We're about to have a celebration. I want him to be here before it starts. In fact, probably he would have been the one to organize it. But there's nothing of that. Father doesn't even mention him. Now that should let us know that there's something is just not right here between this older son and his father also. Now, before we get into the story proper, and before you get the idea that you should have some kind of sympathy with this older brother, let's remember that Jesus is likening him onto the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. And there was nothing good about them. There's nothing that you'd feel sorry for about them. But this is who Jesus is likening them onto. So there's a human tendency as you read this story to feel he's been hard done by. Certainly that's what he thought. But you've got to think a little bit more than that. And so the father didn't inform him probably because he knew what his attitude would probably be that this younger son had returned. 
He probably felt that all along that he absolutely despised his younger brother and probably said so in no uncertain terms, maybe for a long time. But not only that, as we read on, we're going to see that somewhere along the line there was a breakdown between this son and his father also. Different than the younger brother, but still a breakdown nonetheless. And so eventually, the son comes home, the elder son comes home, hears this singing and dancing and music being played, and he's wondering, what in the world is going on? I knew nothing about this. When I left the house this morning, there was no talk of there's going to be a celebration or a feast or a party. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. <laughs> Horror of all horrors. This rascal, this wastrel, had the gall to come back to this house. And not only that, my father has welcomed him and has held a party for him. And he was livid, boiling with rage on the inside. But he was angry, and he would not go in. What was he angry about? Well, he'd be angry about the son, obviously, the younger brother. But he was also angry about the father. Now, right here, he's showing the utmost disrespect to his father. Even though he's the elder son, but he's still a son. He's not the head of the home. And so he had no right to stay outside. He should have come in. But his anger and his resentment and his bitterness would not let him. And so he stands outside, resentful, sour, angry, bitter. Religious people are not big into celebration. <laughs> They're not big into parties. They're not big into joy. Did you ever notice that? And he wasn't. And as we read on in a moment, you'll see all of this underlying resentment that had been building and building suddenly has found an outlet. And like a volcano, it begins to spew out. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him because the father loved this son as much as he loved his other son. Seems like he only had the two. And he loved one as much as the other. So he went out and he pleaded with him, please, son, please come in. Not that he was wanting to save face, because if he had been worried about saving face, he never treated the 
younger son the way he had, having a party for him. He just wanted him to catch himself on. Please come in. Can you not see him happy? Can you not understand that I'm joyful that, that your younger brother has actually come home? He's no longer in the far country. He's safe. He's sound here. But it seems the more the father pleaded with him, the worse he got. And so he answered and he said to his father. Now notice here that not once does he call him father. Not once. He can't even let that word pass his lips. He's so angry and bitter and resentful. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, or look, look, these many years I have been serving you. Now the word he uses in serving here is where we get the word slave from. And the NIV correctly puts it this way. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. What a thing to say to his dad. All these years he seemed to be the model son. At least that's what everybody thought. All the neighbors, the whole village, all the servants thought, he's the model son. But underneath all of that facade, he felt, I'm just slaving for my father. There was no pleasure in it. There was no delight in it. It was just a drudge. He just did it. He wanted to keep up the appearance of being a faithful and a dutiful son. But underneath it, he just felt, I, I'd just been slaving. I wonder, do we ever think that about our service to Father God? You know, I, I was flicking through channels one night, and there was a particular preacher on I don't know what the message was. I only picked one little bit of it up before I moved on. But I thought what he said was brilliant. He said that sometimes when you're, when you're serving God, whether it's in the church or whatever, sometimes you, you, you get to a place and you say, oh, I've got to do this. I, I, I've got to preach again or, or I've got to sing and I've got to play or I've, I've, I've got to do the youth or I've got to do this or I've got to do that. You know, and it's almost as if, oh, I can't be bothered. I just I have to do this. But no heart in it, no joy in it, no pleasure in it. Forgetting that we're serving our Heavenly Father. He says, how much better if you say, I get to do this. Rather than I've got to do it, I get, I thought that was a brilliant, I get to do this. I get to serve. I get to play I get to preach, I get to testify, I get to do this. Because that way, there's pleasure in it. It's not a drudge. Now, I know sometimes you can be physically tired and all of that. We're all human, we all have our moments, but by and large, it's a blessing to serve the Lord. In all these years, it should have been a blessing for him to serve his Father, but it's just, I'm just a slave in here. 
I have no joy in it. I, I'm, I'm doing it, but I, I just, it's just slavery. What an awful thing to say to his father. And so here he is. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Really? <laughs> really? That's a big statement, isn't it? I mean, he's just transgressing it right now as he's speaking. He's refusing to go in. He knows this is hurting his father. He knows he's being disrespectful to his father. <laughs> he said, I, I never transgressed your command at any time. Really? <laughs> and yet, you never, made, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. The father had felled the fat, killed the fatted calf for the prodigal. Well, he says, you never even gave me a little goat. Hmm. He said to the father, after all my slaving, you never gave me a little goat. You gave me nothing. Now, that wasn't true. Definitely wasn't true because we read earlier when the younger son demanded the father's livelihood to be divided up, the father divided up. Not only did he give the younger son, but he gave the elder son. And the elder son would get twice as much as the younger son. And whenever the elder son, whenever the younger son, or sorry, whenever the father would die, it wouldn't be the younger son would get the land, it would be the elder son. So that was just a big lie. But his whole attitude was stinking towards his father. I served you and I got nothing. Look at me. Look at him. And look at me. Look what he got and I got nothing. Not even a wee goat. See, we need to be careful whenever our attitude becomes bad like this that we forget the goodness of God. And we look at what somebody else has got, and we think, oh, I got nothing. But that's not true. It's not true. He didn't give me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Hmm. He's been out there having all the fun in the far country. Span, span, span. Going to all the parties and the clubs and the bars. I got nothing to have fun with my friends. Huh. You get the sense of this, I deserve more. Really, this is, this is what he said. I deserve more than that. You haven't treated me well. He went out and messed up he went out and spent your money and look at what you've done for him. I didn't do any of that and you gave me nothing. I deserve more than that. As soon as you and I begin to think that we deserve God's blessing, then we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Our attitude is completely wrong. But as soon as this son of yours couldn't even say, my brother... This son of yours, 
though, is your son all right? What an insult. What a horrible attitude towards his father. Remember Jesus is likening him unto these scribes and Pharisees. That is stinking attitude. Not just towards people, but towards God. They didn't think they had. And this lot didn't think they had. But Jesus knew their hearts. That's why he called them hypocrites. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. That's the first time that's actually mentioned, isn't it? How did he know that? Who knows? Maybe he made it his business to find out. Maybe somebody in the village had been in the far country doing business and reports come back. Maybe it began to permeate and became the talk of the town. But do you notice the father didn't bring that up? Did you notice the father never once berated him about all that sin he committed? Not once. He just forgave him because he truly repented. But this elder brother, there was no way he was going to forgive. And he took great delight in praying his younger brother's sins. Look at it. Look what he's done. He's a dirty sinner. Hmm. The truth is we're all dirty sinners in the light of God's holiness. But the whole thing, the whole tenor is it's not fair. And be careful that's not what you're thinking. It's not fair. Grace is never fair. <laughs> it's not meant to be fair. Rewards are fair because you work, you get rewarded. But grace is free. It's a gift. And it's at the prerogative of the giver. Let me show you this in Matthew 20. This is another parable that Jesus told, and we'll just briefly read it and briefly mention. Again, a lot of these parables, he, he's exposing the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Notice that when he agreed with them, so a deal was struck. Now when he agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. 
So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they should receive more. And they likewise received such a denarius. And when they received it, they complained. They murmured. They grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who had borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. I'm being fair. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Was that not the deal we made? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this land this last month the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? One translation says, are you envious at my generosity? And they really were. Why? Because they thought they deserved more. It's not fair. We deserve more. But wait a minute, he says. No, 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 he says, we made an agreement. You got what was agreed for. That's fair. But the rest of them, I gave them what I wanted to give them. Out of my generosity. I was of a generous spirit. And I decided, I'll give them what I want. And this is the thing about grace that the scribes and the Pharisees could not understand. This is what the legalist doesn't get. Grace is not fair. It's not meant to be. It's free. And all of us has been recipients of God's free grace. Nothing to do with fairness. In the natural, you could say, well, it's not fair that young son, he went off and spent his dad's money, wasted the whole thing, come back and look, they're throwing a party for him. That doesn't seem fair. Nothing to do with fairness. to do with grace. The father loved him. Glad to have him back. Didn't want recriminations. Didn't want anything other than he's back home. I'm glad. He's my son. I love him. I forgive him. That was his prerogative. But you see, we need to be careful. If God shows grace to somebody else, it's his business. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's not ours. It's God's business. Thankfully, he showed grace to us. <laughs> so we have nothing to complain about. Then he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Son, is it not enough that you've always been with me? Is that not enough? Does that not please you? that you're always with me, that all that I have is yours. And that, in the story, was true, that everything the father owned was coming to him. He could have, any time if he had wanted, he could have took a calf or a kid of a goat or whatever and made a party if he wanted. He could have done that. It, actually, it was all his anyway, 
and eventually he'd get all of it. Is that not enough? You're not just happy that you're in my presence daily, but actually he wasn't happy. He was resentful. He was sour. It was all underneath the surface. And it just took this to cause it to rise up. This is what tipped him over the edge. Legalists are good at keeping stuff under the surface. And then something happens, and then it comes out. They can't stop it. It so affronts them. And these scribes and Pharisees were so affronted, especially with this father now. How dare he do this? This is setting a precedent. Hmm. You see, there's two types of sinners, isn't there? There's the obvious. And this is what Jesus is pointing out here because there was the tax collectors and the Pharisees. There's the obvious, the tax collectors. Everybody knew they were the worst sinners. We mentioned that this morning. It was obvious. The prodigal son, it was obvious what he did. Seemingly, everybody knew about it. They couldn't hide it. Openly a sinner. Some it's easy to see, isn't it? You see their habits, you see their lifestyle, you see what they say, what they do, their language, everything about them. It's just obvious. They don't even try to hide it. Don't even feel any shame about it. They just do it. If you don't like it, tough. But then there's the religious center. And there's an error. There's a facade. Where everything seems to be just right. But underneath in the heart, it's far from right. And God looks at the heart, doesn't he? He sees what's in the heart. Have you ever found yourself in a place you think you're really doing well spiritually? You've got it all together. And then something happens, and then something comes up from the inside that you thought, hmm, I didn't think I'd ever do that or say that. <laughs> I never thought I would yield to that temptation. But God knows the heart. And that's why we need to keep short accounts and repent when we need to and trust the grace of God. But they were too busy pointing the finger at the open sinners to see the sin in their own hearts. And Jesus was exposing them for what they were. Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. I wish you weren't like this. I love you, son. You're my eldest son. You should know better. And you see, these scribes and Pharisees have been given great privileges. They were Jewish. They were the only nation on earth that God ever made a covenant with to this day. He had given them his holy scriptures. They were supposed to be the keepers of the Torah and the writings and the prophets. They had so much privilege as a people. But they used that just for their own advantage. To lord it over everybody else. 
and to be holier than thou. And Jesus hated that above all things. I told you this morning, the Pharisee in the temple praying, Lord, I thank you, I tithe, I go to the synagogue twice a week and all the rest of it, and, but I'm not like that old tax collector. I'm not like other men. Jesus hated that. The old sinner says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, who do you think went out of there justified? Who do you think the Lord was pleased with? The man who admitted it. And so Jesus, in this great parable, he addresses everyone in that crowd. He had a message for each and every one of them. But he left it hanging in the air. Did the elder son go into the party? Did he say, Dad, I'm really, really sorry. My behavior, my attitude is just bad. Please forgive me. Did he go in and embrace his younger brother? Jesus just left it hanging. For them to make up their minds. For them to take it on board and do something with it. And he leaves it hanging for us. What lesson can we take from it? Yes, God's grace. Yes, he's merciful to the sinner. But let's not be a religious sinner. If we sin, we put up our hands and say, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then, no doubt his disciples were standing right there. He said to them, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. It's absolutely right. That's what should have happened. What the father did to the young son. And then I can imagine with the disciples all standing probably at his back, listening intently. If you read the next part of the next chapter, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And I can imagine him, after talking to those scribes and Pharisees and tax collectors, he just turned his back and started to talk to his disciples. As if to say, now you deal with it. I've given you the message. I've shared my heart with you. I can do no more than that. Now you deal with it. And sometimes that's what God does with us. He shares his heart with us through his word. And then he says, deal with it. Take it on board. Think it through. Deal with it. Get back on track. Do the right thing. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Jesus gave that parable? Wouldn't that have been something? Hmm. I don't think those scribes and Pharisees were wishing they were there at that point. They were looking for a big hole to swallow them. It doesn't seem like that they, by and large, ever repented, the scribes and Pharisees. 
sure the Bible says a great company of priests began to follow Jesus, but for the most part, out of the 70 most religious people in all of Israel, only two of them in the end come out for Jesus. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Wonder were they in the crowd that day? At least some responded. But for the most part, it looks like no. That religious spirit, that legalism was so ingrained they just could not let it go. But in closing, let me say those tax collectors and sinners. Remember, Jesus had a tax collector among his disciples. He also had a paramilitary among his disciples too. Hmm. He had an odd bunch. But nobody on it we would have picked. But he picked them. And I can imagine those tax collectors and sinners going away and thinking that was a wonderful story. Oh, we're so relieved. There's hope for us. Yes, everybody hates us in this country. They despise us. Our own family are humiliated because of us. But there's a chance that we could be forgiven. There's hope for us. And that's the message of the gospel. There's hope for every sinner. There's hope for every unsaved man or woman if they just come to Christ and receive him as their Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we marvel at your words whenever we read them. We thank you that you have the ability to get right to the heart of the matter, to put your finger on the pulse, to know what was wrong with every person and what needed to be done to fix them. So we give you thanks that you came to us by your spirit one day and you put the finger in our pulse and you showed us what was wrong with our lives and you told us how it could be fixed. So we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you cared enough to send your spirit to draw us and to win us to yourself. And we are eternally forever grateful. So Lord, help us never to have that religious spirit. If we feel it, Lord, coming up, help us, Lord, to turn it to you and ask for forgiveness quickly. So we give you thanks and we bless you for your own inspired word, your infallible word, your unchanging, life-changing word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.